Well, good morning. My name's Ian, in case we haven't met yet. I'm uh, one of the members of our preaching team here, and uh, it's always fun to get to be part of uh, bringing God's Word uh, together as we come and, and feast on what He has for us. So uh, we're going to be spending some time in the Gospel of John and in First John as we go through this series, the letters of John. The Gospel of John isn't really part of that series, but I figure it's written by him, and I love letting the Bible interpret the Bible. So we're going to be looking at First John and the Gospel of John as well. But first, a little botany lesson for you here. Does anyone know what this is? It's a stick. Yeah, okay. It's a, yeah. A branch. What? It's a grapevine branch. Yeah, and vine or branch, I don't know. But you can probably tell because it's got the little things that wrap all over something and make it really hard to, you know, pull off. Yeah. So then, um, if, if I told you that this is a comes from a Concord grape in our backyard, which it actually does, then uh, what sort of grapes might this produce? <laughs> Eventually it could, yes. <laughs> All right. So, it, Concord, right? Because it comes from a Concord grape vine, right? But actually, no, this won't produce any grapes at all because... Yeah, trick question, right? Yeah. See, it's not connected and that happens. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's like Jesus said... You know, and we're actually going to look, we're going to start out with looking at this passage in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 15. So let's take a look at that, and you can turn to that in your Bibles if you want, and if you don't have a Bible, you can feel free to grab one from the uh, pew pocket in front of you or behind you, and you could turn that one to page 901 if you want to turn right to that. Boy, now I just feel like I want to stand here with this and have it be like a, a walking stick or something, but no, it's, it's floppy, so I won't. Okay, Gospel of John, chapter 15. Jesus said, and, and by the way, this comes from, um, the, there's, a, there's context here, right? In the Gospel of John from chapter 15, 13 all the way up to chapter 18, we see the story of the night that Jesus was betrayed. Chapter 13, he washes the disciples' feet. He's in the upper room. They're doing Passover you know, the Last Supper, that whole thing. And then they go out on a walk, and as they're walking along, he's talking with them, and he's asking them to pray with him, and he goes out and prays and comes back, and, you know, and he's teaching them. And, uh, and that's all, that whole series of chapters from 13 all the way up to 18, which is when Judas comes and betrays him with the Judas kiss, and then he's arrested, and on um, the story goes. So this teaching happens in that context. This is when he's hanging out with the disciples, probably after the Passover meal, and, uh, and he's teaching them. Uh, I think of it as, like, if I was a dad on my deathbed, and I gather my kids around me, and I'm like, what is the most important information that I want to impart to them before I go, right? Because he was getting ready to go. They didn't quite understand that yet, but so he's giving them those things that he feels are vitally important for them to continue after he goes. And so we'll pick it up in chapter 15, verse 4. He says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear any fruit by itself, right? That branch right there will not bear any fruit um, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. 
and you are the branches. I love how he puts together the analogy for them, right? Like in case they're, they don't get it, you know, because maybe they've been a little dense over the years. So he's like, okay, let me just break it down for you. So this analogy that I'm making, like I'm the vine and you're the branch. I want you to abide in me. I want you to bear fruit just like a branch would bear fruit. You know, he's really spelling it out in, in simple terms. And I like that because sometimes I don't get it. And then he says, uh, whoever abides in me and I in him, um, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So I cannot bear any fruit on my own. I must be connected to him if I want to bear fruit. And he says, if anyone does not abide in me, uh, then he's thrown away like a branch um, like a branch and withers. He's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. You know, we've got this, this uh, grapevine in, in our backyard there, and uh, every year, right around this time, actually, we go out there, we prune it and, you know, dress the vines. I, I grew up uh, working on my uncle's vineyard uh, during, you know, cer- certain parts of the year, and we'd go out there and we'd, you know, sleep in the pump house and, you know, make sure if it, we had an alarm that would go off if it was freezing, and we'd go out and make sure that the vines were okay and all that, and I'd dress the vines with them, you know, tie the little tape around it and clip it and all that kind of stuff. So, and then we'd, we'd pull up these big piles, and we would actually use those piles, we would burn them to, uh, to keep the plants warm, you know, if, in case it got freezing. So anyway, um, it's, it's worthless. Other than being good for fire, you know, once it's pruned, it's worthless, because it's not going to bear fruit. I don't want to be worthless. I want to be connected to Jesus so I can bear fruit. And I think that's what he's getting at here. So then years later, one of those disciples that heard that teaching, John, most likely the youngest of the disciples, uh, was an old man. And he was encouraging the churches because there was false teaching about Jesus that had crept into those churches. And uh, and he was wanting to make sure that, that they did not disconnect, you know, like Jesus is talking. He wanted to make sure that they would abide in Christ. And so uh, that's what we're looking at in 1 John. We're looking at how uh, John was teaching them uh, kind of against all that false teaching so that they could remain in Christ. So um, there, there's a l- there were some problems that he was addressing. And um, the passage that we're going to look at today, those problems were basically that the, there were former church members that were departing from the family, right? They were, uh, they were of the church, but not remaining in the church. So they were departing from the church family. They were denying truth about Jesus, and they were deceiving other people along the way. And that's the kind of the core that, that John is um, addressing in chapter 2 of First John. So let's look at First John chapter 2, um, verse 19, because it's there that we see uh, him, him mention that they were departing because they weren't of the family, right? So First uh, John chapter 2, if you haven't flipped over to First to John now, you can go ahead and do that. 1 John chapter 2, uh, verse 19, it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, then they would have continued with us, but they went out, that it might become plain that they were not of us. So who is they? Well, they are the ones that were you know, being, being deceitful. They were teaching false doctrine about Jesus. They were departing the family. And it says they went out from us, but it's okay because they really weren't of us in the first place. In fact, the fact that they left us kind of shows that they weren't really of us because if they were of us, then they would have remained with us. So he's kind of got that whole, you know, you guys know how First John is. It's a little poetic and repetitive and redundant and tautological. But 
Because those three words mean the same thing, you know, redundant and repetitive and tautological. It's a dad joke. Okay. (laughs) All right, so... So uh, these people were uh, not of the family. That's why they eventually left. And then another part of this problem, they were not convinced of who Christ was. Therefore, they were anti-Christ. Now, when I say anti-Christ, you might think about end times. Like, oh, okay, the anti-Christ and, you know, going to temple and, you know, tribulation and all this kind of stuff. Uh, we're not going to get into any of the end times kind of stuff there, and I really don't think that that's John's main point in this passage. So I'm going to just pull that card and say we're not going to talk about it. But if you have questions about the end times, Tyler would love to answer them. So <laughs> just... <laughs> and, uh, but no, so uh, they were not convinced of Christ, so they were anti-Christ, Right? Like, if you are one of those uh, woefully foolish people that is not convinced that the Raiders are awesome, that would be you. <laughs> and most of you, so then you would be anti Raider, right? You know, like anti meaning opposed, opposite of, that kind of thing. You know, so uh, they were not convinced of Christ. Now, the word Christ is actually not Jesus' last name, you know, uh, Jesus the Christ. Um, Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, right? Jesus the Messiah. So they were not convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. And specifically, we'll get into this a bit later, they were not convinced that he had came, he had come in bodily form. Like they thought maybe he was just some sort of, you know, like spirit entity that, that appeared like a body but didn't really have a body, you know? And, and they were teaching this heresy about Jesus. So let's look at uh, 1 John chapter 2. Uh, verse 22 and 23. He says, Who is the liar uh, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah? Uh, This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So he's saying um, if, if they're denying Jesus... If they're denying Jesus as Messiah, then they're rejecting the Father. And, and they would say, oh, no, we believe in God. But John would say, well, you don't believe in Jesus, and Jesus is God. If you reject one, you reject the other. If you receive one, you receive the other. And so John is, is driving home this point that you can't say, oh, well, I believe in God. I just don't believe in Jesus. John says, no, the, the, you can't do that. It's a package deal, right? Uh, And they were. They were denying that Jesus was the Christ. And so he's pushing against that. He's exposing them as as those false teachers. Okay, and then the third part, they were deceiving other people, not believing who Jesus was, that he came bodily, uh, that they they were teaching this heresy. And we see that in uh, in 2 John, actually, uh, chapter 1, verse 7. So there's only one chapter in 2 John, so that's an easy one. So 2 John, and actually I think... Yeah, Um, so for many deceivers have gone out into the world, uh, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So again, he's talking about, you know, if, if, you, if you deny who Jesus is, well, you know, he was a good teacher, well, he was a, a good person, or yeah, he did great things, but, you know, is he, is he really God? Like, well, no, is what they would say. But, you know, Jesus claimed to be God. John, the guy that wrote this, heard Jesus claim to be God. 
So then, if, um, if he claimed to be God, then, like, uh, wasn't it C.S. Lewis that said that Jesus would either be a liar, a, a liar, a lunatic, or Lord, right? Either he's lying about himself, or he's crazy in the head, or he really is who he claims to be. And, and so, um, John is saying he is who he claimed to be. Remember, uh, the, the epistle of 1 John starts with him saying, uh, you know, that which we saw with our eyes, we experienced it, we were there, you know, and we just read from uh, the Gospel of John 15 where John was there. He did see it, he did hear it, and he's saying, yes, this is true, and these false teachers, you know, they basically need to knock it off. Okay, so... Um, there's this problem in the churches with these people that are being deceitful. You know, they're, they're teaching false doctrine. They're leading people astray. They're rejecting who Jesus is. And um, they're not really abiding in Christ because they're not receiving Christ. So then what would the solution be? Well, John gives us a solution. Um, the first thing I want us to look at is the Gospel of John. So now we're going to flip back to the Gospel of John all the way back to John chapter 1, John chapter 1 and verse 11 and 12. He says, um, he, Jesus, came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, uh, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So Jesus came to his own, they rejected him, but as many as received him, they had the right to be children of God. And, you know, you may have heard that verse or ones like it often and think, okay, yeah, cool, I received Jesus, but, but like, think for a minute. Um, to be able to stand confidently and say, I am a child of God. Now, in, in our culture, um, heritage isn't really a big deal to a lot of people like it is in other cultures. You know, um, uh, like, you know, my family name, right? My last name is Macintosh, and I could trace it back to maybe, like, the early 1900s is as far back as I could go with my awareness of my family tree. It's not very long, you know. Some people can trace it all the way back to, you know, when their family immigrated here from wherever Stan, you know. But the, the thing is, like, the, the family heritage, uh, we need to understand how significant it is for us to say, I'm a child of God. Like, well, yeah, Wayne McIntosh, he's my dad, my biological father. But I'm a child of God. Like, the God that created the universe, the God that holds everything in his hand, that's my dad. Like, I come from good stock, man, <laughs> you know? And I can say that confidently because I have received him. And you can say that confidently because you have received him. And so um, the first step in dealing with, uh, to, to making sure that like I'm abiding in Christ, like it said, you know, in John chapter 15, I want to abide in him, um, is to make sure that I receive him. So that like this branch now, Mac could probably do this, but I can't because she actually studied this in high school. But grafting, right? Is, is that the, you know, now I, I broke this with my raw, manly hands this morning. <laughs> <sighs> Felt powerful, you know. Tore it right off that vine. But uh, I'm guessing that if, if this was snipped at an angle, right? And then like drill a hole in the, 
and then like stick it in there and wrap a bunch of goop and tape around it, like graft it in, right? You know, like um, all these beautiful um, trees along the, the main road out here that are blooming the pink little, yeah, you know, uh, cherry blossoms. I always thought they were or ornamental plum. Yes, all right. <laughs> I, I actually have no idea. I really don't. What I do know is they're purdy. And what I do know is that, um, at least I think, a friend long ago told me that they, um, there are uh, branches that are grafted into that, you know, branches that intentionally don't bear fruit because they're ornamental. And, um, but, you know, as those trees grow, if they're not pruned properly, then, like, I, I find plums... I think, maybe they're, I don't know, but on the ground under those trees because it's not being pruned, you know, so now it's more than ornamental. We have a cherry tree in our backyard that has how many types of cherries? Four, you know, because they've been grafted into the main stock, right? So um, he came to his own, his own did not receive him, um, but to as many as do receive him, they have the right to be called the children of God. So um, I'm, I'm not his own. I'm not Jewish, right? Jesus was born as, as a Jewish person, and he came to the Jewish people, and they rejected him. But anyone, Jew or Gentile, can receive him, and they get to have that right of saying, I am a child of God. And in the book of Romans, Paul says that we're grafted in to that family. So that's why I can say, man, I come from good stock. Because I'm, not because I'm grafted in as a Jewish person, literally, biologically, but spiritually, that's my heritage now. So anyway, that's a very important step in knowing how to abide in Christ, to remain in him. So then uh, let's take a look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 26 through 28. He says, I write these things to you, about those who are trying to deceive you. Uh, the anointing that you received from him abides in you. Well, now, wait, I thought we were talking about uh, me abiding in Christ. Well, now he says that anointing you received abides in you. Uh, you have no need that anyone should teach you these things. Uh, as his anointing teaches you about everything, and it's true, it's not a lie, uh, just as he taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, Abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from his coming. I got to believe that as John is writing this, he's thinking about when he was that young man, you know, decades earlier with Jesus, the night before Jesus was arrested and crucified, and Jesus was teaching them, you know, about abiding in him. And this new generation of believers that John is writing this epistle to, they weren't there, they didn't see him, they didn't hear it, and he's wanting to make sure that they get it. So let's look at uh, what, what it means to abide in Christ. If, if I'm abiding in Christ, then uh, I am joining an eternally existing relationship with God. God exists in eternity past. Before creation even existed, he was. He's, you know, the uncreated one, right? And as a triune God, he has existed eternally past in relationship with himself. Now, that sounds weird or schizophrenic or whatever, but, you know, and we're not going to unpack all the complexities of the Trinity. If you have questions about that, oh, he's gone. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but the point there is God existed in, e- in eternity past in a beautiful, intimate, uh, perfect relationship with himself. And as I abide in Christ, as you and we together abide in Christ, we enter into that relationship. And we'll see that unpacked in John 17 in, a, in just a minute. Or maybe right now. Let's go ahead and look at that right now. John chapter 17. Okay, no, we'll do this. Thank you, Richard. He keeps me on track. So a couple other points that happen here. Uh, if we're abiding in Christ, um, we are united with his family. Right? That's us. Right? If, if you have received Christ, then you are part of his family. And um, just like this branch, and I'll, I'll kind of ruin the analogy here, but you know, like let's. So this is the main part right here, and then uh, this branch is actually connected to this branch because of this part right here, right? So I'm in Christ, and you are in Christ, and we are together in Christ because He's connecting us. That's the picture that you're going to see Jesus drawing in in John chapter 17. So then, thirdly, um, our lives will bear fruit, and our family grows. You know, healthy sheep reproduce, healthy vines make grapes, right? It's just kind of the way things work. So uh, as we abide in him, we become united, and we get to enjoy that relationship with him, and we get to see him grow us. So let's take a look at John chapter 17. When Jesus had, sp- again, this is that night before he was, he was crucified, and I, I'm, I'm starting with chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, because it gives context, and then we're going to skip ahead to verse 20. So Jesus had spoken these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Right? What hour? Well, the, the arrest, the, uh, the torture, the crucifixion, the hour that he's been anticipating his whole life, right? So, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him, he's talking about himself in third person, right? So, um, he says, uh, since you have given him, Jesus himself, um, authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So the, he's, he's praying and he's asking God, would you glorify yourself in me? Would you allow me to glorify you? You know, that, that's, that's his heart in the context of this prayer. So now let's skip down to verse 20. And he says, I don't ask this for these only, and I can just imagine him gesturing to the twelve. Right? You know, I don't ask this just for these, uh, but for all those who will believe in me through their word. You know, not only their spoken word, as we read in the book of Acts as the church spreads, but this word, right? As we read the words that God inspired them to write for us, we believe in him. And so Jesus is praying for us in, in that prayer because we've come to believe through, through the word of those that, that were with him in that moment. And then this is what he prays for us, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, see that relationship existing in eternity past? That they also may be in us, so that all of the world may believe that you have sent me. 
So the Father and the Son have loved each other for all of eternity. And Jesus is saying, Lord, could we invite them into this? Could they get to taste what this is like? Wouldn't it be great, Father, if they could abide in me like I'm in you, and as they're in me and I'm in you, then they are in us? Like that was his heart for us as he was praying that. And then he says, and, and Lord, when that happens, the world will see that I am the one that you sent and that you are true. And when the world sees that, they're going to want it. And then our family's going to grow. And then he concludes, well, this passage concludes, uh, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. In them, or I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, you know, united, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. You guys, there is so much potential for God's family when we are united in Christ, when we are one, not just in this room, but like in this city, in this county, in this neighborhood, in this country. Or like imagine what would happen if we focused more on those things that unite us than those things that divide us. Wouldn't it be cool if Baptists and Pentecostals got along? Wouldn't it be cool if like Presbyterians and Lutherans and Episcopalians and, and just like, you know what? Sure, there are things that are doctrinally different about us, but it shouldn't divide us. You know, um, Augustine once said, uh, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. And I think if the body of Christ could live like that, if we could recognize like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm this branch and, and you're that branch and, and we're different, but you know, we're still connected by Christ. Like, how cool would that be? Rather than like, ooh, I don't like that branch. I want to get away from that branch. And then, you know, bad stuff happens. So if I'm abiding in Christ, then I'm joining into that eternal relationship with Christ. We're united as his family, and we bear fruit. And it's super important to guard that. And that's what our fourth point is here. Uh, the, the we, or our third point, we need to have discernment to defend against the inaccurate, inaccurate teaching about who Jesus is. People will say, oh, Jesus um, was, you know, just, a, just like all those other great teachers, you know, um, Gandhi or Buddha or whatever. It's just simply not true. And it's not like I have to be this amazing, um, you know, theologian who has the Bible memorized and can argue against any really smart person and all that kind of thing. I just need to be convinced of what the Bible says about who Jesus is. And I need to defend my own heart against that, uh, that corruption of who Jesus is. And I'm not talking like those little differences because, you know, certain denominations might believe this about Jesus and that about Jesus. Uh, I'm talking those big differences, right? Like Jesus came in the flesh. He was born of a virgin and he died a physical death and he rose from the dead. 
In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, if Jesus did not die a physical death and physically raised from the dead, then we are all wasting our time. And so uh, we must be convinced of that physical, you know, and we, I mean, we look at it every Christmas and Easter, right? You know, know, the Christmas, Jesus born in the little, you know, and then Easter, the physical death, right? There's a reason those are the two high points in the Christian calendar because, you know, salvation hangs on that. And so if, if people start to steal that away, then I need to be ready to stand and say, no, that's, that's not what the scripture teaches. So let's look at 1 John chapter 4. He says, beloved, uh, do not believe every spirit. So it's good to have discernment. You ever hear people say, like, don't judge me, you know? Man, I, I just wish I could take that word out of the English language, don't, like, judge, because judge could mean to have discernment, right? Like, I want to have good judgment. I don't want to be judgmental in the sense of condemning people, right? I want to I be gracious, but I want to have discernment. So I just, whenever someone says, well, don't judge me, I, I say, well, now, are you telling me that I shouldn't have discernment or that I shouldn't condemn you? Because I do not condemn you, but I want to have discernment. Anyway, that's freebie. Discernment is what he's talking about here, right? Discerning the spirits. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess that Je- uh, confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, the one that does not confess Jesus, uh, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And that would include the coronavirus, right? I mean, the coronavirus is in the world, but God is in me, and I don't mean I'm just going to go start licking all the, you know, surfaces around because I don't want to be foolish. But greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. If I have received Christ, and, and, I, and I've, I've been grafted into that family, and I'm abiding in him, then, then I can say, greater is he that's in me. Than he. So I don't need to fear false doctrine. I just need to be able to recognize it and stand against it in my own heart, in my own mind, and protect the people around me from it. But being completely convinced Jesus is the Christ. He came in the flesh. He died a physical death, and, and, uh, and he had a physical resurrection defeating death. If I believe those things, then, and I'm totally mixing metaphors here, and I apologize. If I believe those things, I am plugged in, so to speak, right? <laughs> I just, I, honestly, I just wanted a, an excuse to bring this up here because it's pretty sweet, you know? <laughs> Not going to lie, it's a good-looking lamppost, you know? And uh, um, where did we get this? <laughs> Narnia, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> lamppost. <laughs> No, but I mean, like, like, if this wasn't plugged in, then I could twist this knob all I want, and it wouldn't do anything. But it's plugged in, and it's plugged into the source of power, and it gives light. As we abide in Christ, we are connected to that source of power. 
and then we, that's why he said, you are the light of the world. You know, now, I cannot generate my own light, but I can be plugged into him. And the world can see as we are gathered together in unity and we're letting that little light of ours shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Don't hide it under a bushel. <laughs> okay, just making sure you're tracking with me. <laughs> but no, as we gather together, and we let that light shine, then the world will see that we are his. They see the love that we have for each other, but we gotta guard that. Gotta intentionally abide in, which, which means when, when that jerk cuts me off, by the way, I'm usually the jerk that cuts you off, and I'm sorry, <laughs> please forgive me. Um, but when that hypothetical jerk cuts you off, um, you know, that might be a time that you would feel unplugged from Jesus, or that might be a time that you would feel like you're no longer abiding in, see how strong I am, right? <laughs> so to be intentional and say, no, I'm not going to let my circumstances disconnect me from Jesus, right? I am going to intentionally remain in him. I'm going to guard my heart. I'm going to stay connected to him, you know, I'm, I'm going to um, dig in deeper. When, when the world wants to pull me away even more, I'm going to grab on even tighter. You know, and um, that takes some intentionality. You know, when life gets busy and I'm, I'm tempted to, uh, to, to say, well, you know, I'll just hang out with Jesus later. I'll read the Bible later. I got a lot of work to do. Like, no, that's when I need to be even more intentional and, uh, and, and lean into him even more. Amen. All right, let's pray. Lord, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, what, you, what you told your followers in John chapter 6, that, uh, that um, unless we eat your flesh and drink your blood, uh, that we have no part of you. And Lord, I know you were speaking metaphorically, but Lord, I, I want to be like that. I want each one of us to be like that, that, that we would depend on you for our sustenance, uh, that, that you would be the one, Lord, that, uh, that supplies what we need. Lord, I know that only you can do that, so Lord, please help us live that way. Lord, help us to abide in you, uh, to thrive in you, to bear fruit in you, to be unified in you. And Lord, I pray that when the world distracts us, that we wouldn't be like Peter, who was distracted by the wind and the waves and began sinking in the water that he had been walking on. I pray that we could keep our eyes on you even more fervently. That we could, um, that we could remain in you and not be one of those branches that's, that's uh, only good for fire. In Jesus' name, amen.